0: to be honest, we're encouraging, and I think our sellers know this, but you know, the banks who are selling on our platform, the properties that they already have in their inventory, it's actually a good time to sell those because mm. um, you don't have a lot of competition from other inventory and you still have, you know, demand is weaker, but you still have demand up there. And, and so <laughs> before, that kind of slow moving train makes its way and and probably we'll see some, it wouldn't be surprising to see some price declines down the road before that hits. Um, Now is kind of a good window of opportunity to, to sell. Welcome to the
1: Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. Josh Cantwell. If you love entrepreneurship and investing in real estate, then you are in the right place. Josh is the CEO of Freeland Ventures Real Estate Private Equity and has personally invested in well over 500 properties all across the country. He's also made hundreds of private lender loans and owns over 1,000 units of apartments. Josh is an expert at raising private money for deals and he prides himself on never having had a boss in his entire adult life. Josh and his team also mentor investors and entrepreneurs from all over the world. He doesn't dream about doing deals. He actually does them, and so do his listeners and students. Now, sit back, listen, listen, learn, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast.
2: So, everybody, what's going on? Welcome back. To Accelerated Investor. I am, uh, as always, I'm really excited to be with all of you guys. I'm coming from my one of my home offices instead of my work office where I normally do these podcasts and solo casts and guest interviews. Uh, obviously, in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, uh, hopefully it's, things are starting to subside. Uh, so I just want to say thanks. I know all of you are hunkering down. A lot of you are operating from your homes, maybe your uh, home office sharing a lot more of your house uh, space with your spouses and kids and your loved ones. Uh, I'm doing the same. Actually, my wife and my kids are over in our home gym a couple doors over, so hopefully uh, we can we can get through this amazing podcast and this information without too many interruptions. Um, maybe you guys have listened to some recent podcasts and seen Dominic uh, on a little bit more often than the past. Uh, so that's just the real world, right? Running our real estate businesses and our information and data that we put out, uh, this podcast and doing it in this environment. Uh, today, I'm excited because I have a regular recurring guest back with us. His name is Darren Blumquist. He is the uh, vice president of market economics at auction.com. Darren's been a regular contributor of the accelerated investor podcast for years and at our events and our stages and inside of our coaching programs. So I want to welcome Darren back to talk about the state of the market. Darren, what's going on? How are you?
0: I'm doing, I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, and it's good to be back in, in different circumstances. Uh, I, I made I may be interrupted as well. My son just popped his his head through the door right before we started. So who knows? Yeah. It could happen again.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, but, uh, spouses and kids yeah. are welcome in this environment at any time. They just let them, let them jump on in. That's great. Um, So how are things going for you, Darren? You're obviously working from home. You worked from home a lot before, so you were kind of used to it. But uh, I know you guys are based out of California. So tell us just a little bit about how auction.com is running and what's your environment like for you personally uh, in the pandemic?
0: Yeah, we've been on stay at home. I think uh, I've lost track of the weeks now, but I think it it was about March 15th. So over a month now, which is crazy. And yeah, luckily for me, my job is pretty conducive to to doing it anywhere in in many ways. Uh, but I do miss the environment of going into the office for sure. And uh, we've been we had an incredible uh, effort on the part of our IT team because we we have um, over nine hundred employees in in three locations, uh, but they did a great job of. Allowing everybody, pretty much everybody, to re- to work remotely, uh, and so that was a Herculean effort. But uh, we're, you know, we're 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 in the in the throes of it. But look, definitely looking forward and starting to prepare for getting back to the office. Um, the teams are are prepping the offices to start coming back. Uh, we're we're looking forward to that. And, you know, we're kind of, we're in a weird space as a business too, where the foreclosure auction that I'll talk a little bit about this in some of the data I'm sharing, but you know, these foreclosure moratoriums affect us very directly. Right. Um, and, and, uh, you shut, you know, basically shut down a portion, a big portion of, of our business, um, at least temporarily, but we know that that's based on past experience, um, and just looking at the data, we know that that's uh, going to result in a a flood of foreclosures down uh, down the road, um, right. even even if it's in a couple of months as it hit. So we're trying to prep for that, you know, and, and the, the thing that's really what we're seeing and I'll probably I don't want to steal too much of my thunder here, but we're seeing as a business is the online, not surprisingly, the online portion of our business is is what is doing very well right now. Buyers can't go to the in-person foreclosure auctions, so they are coming online. And, you know, the other part of our business is selling those bank-owned properties through online auctions where you can bid from anywhere. So it's very, uh, very conducive to this environment. And so we're seeing more activity for those, more interest in those online auctions and more bidding on those online auctions. So that's uh, that, that's a big focus for us as well.
2: Nice, yeah. And those online auctions can be done right from home. So I've actually bought many properties from auction.com from my home computer, sitting on my couch, drinking a glass of wine next to my <laughs> fireplace. Um, so that's great. Um, yeah, so I do want to.
0: I mean, to a shameless plug, and uh, you know, maybe we can talk about this later. But we are one of the things we're developing for the, in anticipation for this uh, this backlog of foreclosures that's being built up right now that are eventually will hit is technology to allow folks to bid remotely, not just for the online auctions, but for those live courthouse auctions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually you can do that from, the cool thing about Ohio right now is it passed legislation a couple of years ago um, and we, were, we helped advise on that, that allows the court ha- traditional courthouse auctions to happen online. So Ohio was actually a, ahead of the curve in that So if you're in Ohio buying properties in Ohio, yes, you can do that online, which is really cool um, for those in-person, traditionally courthouse foreclosure auctions. Most of the other states, that's not the case. Florida is one one other state where that's the case, but we're working on technology that's going to allow that more across all the – and we were working on this before the pandemic – so it's uh, so, you know somewhat serendipitous uh, that we we launched it in March, and anyway I can talk more about that if you want to. But sure. it's an exciting thing I think that will, once that those foreclosure moratoriums are lifted, will allow investors to access this inventory more conveniently and more safely than yeah. in the past.
2: Got it. So a lot of the the data that Darren will share is direct data from the auction.com platform, their website, where they do uh, list and sell foreclosure properties and bank owned properties and government foreclosures and things like that. Um, So a lot of the data is real time from their buyers and uh, who are clients of theirs, as well as the seller's who are typically institutions, who are also clients of Darren's. And he's got some updated information just over this last you know two full weeks of April. Uh, we're recording this on April 24th, and Darren's got some information, literally, that just rolled out this morning. So uh, we're gonna talk a lot about Q1, um, uh, what, was, what we were seeing, because we do these once a quarter. So we talk about the data and what we're seeing about home prices and unit sales and foreclosure information. And then obviously, these numbers are all gonna be a little bit off or different or skewed because of what's happened in the last um, 30 days or so. So we'll talk a little bit about retail market trends. We'll talk about some investor insights and then the, the distressed uh, market trends um, as well. So first, uh, you know, we always like to talk about number of unit sales, like home sales by the week, and then also prices. That's usually kind of where we start. Um, and again, if you're watching this or hearing this on a podcast on Stitcher or SoundCloud or iTunes, there is a corresponding presentation, uh, PowerPoint slides that go with this podcast, which is gonna be available on YouTube. Uh, So definitely look up Strategic Real Estate Coach uh, on YouTube. Uh, and uh, and you'll and you 'll find these uh these slides there as well uh, so darren let's let 's just talk a little bit about what we saw two thousand and nineteen through two thousand and twenty regarding home sales. Tell us a little bit more about what you 've seen so far
0: yeah, and actually, for a lot of this data, we typically do look at this quarterly, but because of the nature of the market that we 're in right now the the fast moving pace of things where I started to pull the data by week rather than quarter or even month, and so you know. You know for instance NAR just came out with our March numbers yesterday, which is lagging. You know, the March numbers still show that they're up year over year, although they did come down in from the previous month, which is unusual for March. But so I started pulling this data by week from directly from the MLS, which is a little bit more real time view of, of how things are going. And you do see that real estate you know, did did hold pretty steady through March. You started to see the fall off in the second half of March there, and then the big drop off that you see in sales comes in the first two weeks of April. Uh, so I think you know, in March you were still having sales happening that had been set in motion several weeks before, and so still closed those still got got through the door, but now you're seeing. The, the sales drop off pretty dramatically. And so when the NAR comes up with their April numbers in, a, in about a month from now, you will see, uh, I'm, I'm guessing something along the lines of a 40% uh, decrease in sales in April was what we're seeing in the first two weeks mm-hmm. uh, compared to last year. So uh, the the, rate, the uh, real estate market is everybody you know, it's slow moving wasn't quite as fast to respond even as unemployment and things like that. But we are seeing the fall off in, in, in retail sales.
2: And remember this is retail sales and this is home units. So a lot of people I've, I've over and over and over, I've pounded this to my audience and Ted told them again and again, look, there's two major indicators. There's number of units sold per week. And then there's home prices. And in this environment, what we're all seeing is that uh, supply is down. And so is demand. So they're both decreasing. I don't know if it's at a similar rate, but they're both decreasing simply because people aren't getting out of their homes. People that would have listed their homes on a retail sale are not doing it. They don't want people in and out of their homes showing properties and buyers are not leaving their homes to go buy properties. So the total number of home units you can see uh, from week nine was nearly a hundred thousand sales that week. And now in week 16, which is coming up really close uh, to the end of April here, middle to the end of April, we're down to about 55,000 units. So it's down by 40, 45% total sales units. Um, that doesn't mean home prices just dropped 45%. I want to make sure that that's clear because some people yeah. are like, oh my God.
0: Well, if you, uh, Josh, actually, yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're thinking exactly how I thought. If you go to the next slide, we do yeah. look at home prices, which this actually surprised me a little bit. We're actually seeing an acceleration in home price appreciation. So, <laughs> wow. So, so the blue line is, is last year home. And this is uh, average home prices. It's not median it's average, which is a little bit more volatile, but, um, averages, but yeah. you still see the trend that, you know, not surprisingly home prices in 2020 are higher, but they're actually oh. the gap between 2020 and 2019 is getting bigger in the last couple of weeks. Up ten percent right. um, in the the first week of April, and up nineteen percent in the second week of April.
2: Wow! So beginning of the year, average home price is in the three seventy five range, and now it's up like close to four forty. It's all of a sudden jumped. Obviously, it's going to change every week, and the number is going to change a lot. But yeah. uh, it's just good to see home sale prices going up, I would just be happy to see them staying steady. I mean, I don't know that, again, I think that's going to be fairly volatile uh, over the next Mm -hmm. couple of weeks because supply and demand is going to change a lot as certain markets open up and certain buyers are leaving their houses, more um, homeowners listing their properties for sale, or even rehabbers who are rehabbing properties now are able to finish projects. Contractors are able to get to houses, finish rehabs and getting them on the market. Um, I anticipate that that number is going to fluctuate probably more than we've ever seen over the next two or three months is my guess. Um, yep. Again, new home listings, this this kind of follows along with that data of number of units sold. Uh, so tell us about this. Looks like sales listings are way down as well.
0: Yeah, so this is exactly the point you made a minute ago that supply is, is down. And that's so usually when you would see sales down, that would indicate the demand is weak. And so then you would expect prices to follow, but we're not seeing that. And it's because supply is actually leading here. Supply is down more than demand. So Supply is down 52% um, year over year in terms of new listings. Wow. And so that is what's driving this market right now is people taking their, either taking their homes on the, off the market that were already listed or not listing them in the first place uh, because they, you know, who wants, who would, want to sell, if you have a choice, you know, you probably don't want to sell in this environment. It's just a, uh, probably a tough environment to, to sell and except, especially for a real retail seller. Um, and so that's, uh, that's really driving that trend that we saw in the last two slides. Yeah.
2: So you could make a, a, a correlation between supply is way down 52% and prices are up. That would seem to make sense. Again, I'd like to see this play out over the next couple of weeks and months to see if that sticks sticks that way. Um, so, yeah. growth in customers going on their first tour, indicating their first time the property hits the market and going on a tour. Is that what we're looking at here?
0: Yeah, this is data from Redfin, and um, really trying to show the demand side of the equation it is. Mm-hmm. So if you, the last slides, you know, roughly speaking, supply is down fifty two percent. Demand is definitely down based on this measurement, which is basically yeah, saying uh, what's the percentage change in the number of folks going on their first tour of a home uh, through the Redfin platform, at least. Mm-hmm. And it's down. that's down 25%, but, so it's not down as much as supply. And it's actually bouncing back up a little bit. Uh, if you see there at the beginning of April, at the end of March, it was closer to 40% decrease in that demand. So folks are starting to slowly come back and, and look um, at homes and that's, that's all creating this environment where you have, um, you, you actually have prices still rising, even though the market is, you know, is really in a, in a crazy, crazy town mode right now. Yeah. In
2: my newest real estate investing book, The Flip System, you'll learn the proven secrets and strategies that I've used to be a successful real estate investor. You'll also hear the story of my journey from quitting my job to doing over 2,000 units of apartments. The Flip System is now available for a limited time, and you can grab your free copy at getflipsystem.com podcast you'll learn the same proven principles and secrets and investing strategies that I used to quit my job and pursue a life of financial freedom. In this book, I'm sharing exactly how I was able to personally close over 750 profitable real estate deals, make over 400 private lender loans, raise over $30 million, and acquire over 2,000 units of cash-flowing apartments. Get my newest book now for free, at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. That's getflipsystem.com slash podcast. And I, I think one of the things that, for our audience, maybe that wasn't around in 2008, 9, and 10, you have to remember the, the 2008, everybody talks about 2008. Is when the market imploded. It actually started in the fall of 2006. Uh, many people don't remember this, but that's when a lot of the foreclosure adjustments began to happen, and the uh, the two year and five year arms started happening, and 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 defaults started happening. So then. Bear Mm -hmm. Stearns went bankrupt in the spring of 2007. That was the first major big company to go under because of the foreclosure crisis. And then Lehman Brothers was in the fall of 2007. And then AIG and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac didn't happen until 2008. So my point here is that real estate is a slow moving, as Darren already mentioned, it's a slow moving uh, economic niche because... It's not like stocks where stocks are traded and they can be bought and sold literally in a, in a second through the click of a mouse. Real estate takes time to show properties, write contracts, get to the closing table, get to title and escrow. It takes time. So it tends to lag. And so when, when the stock market was down 50% in 2008, real estate didn't hit its bottom until almost three years. It was until about three years. So It was in sometime in 2010, I believe, when real estate was down about 33% and at its bottom before it started to rebound. So I certainly expect with all these 26 million people who have lost their jobs, there's going to be more foreclosures. There's going to be some of that stuff, but you're not going to see it tomorrow. It's going to take 30, 60, 90 days, all these forbearance agreements, maybe 180 days, maybe a year until a lot of that stuff starts to you know, rear its ugly head, if you will. Um, yeah. So,
0: so yeah, that's a really good point. And I think so, we're kind of in this weird environment where we, and to be honest, we're encouraging, and I think our sellers know this, but you know, the banks who are selling on our platform, the properties that they already have in their inventory, it's actually a good time to sell those because mm. um, you don't have a lot of competition from other inventory and you still have, you know, demand is weaker, but you still have demand up there. And, and so, before that kind of slow moving train makes its way, and, and probably we'll see some, it wouldn't be surprising to see some price declines down the road before that hits. Um, now is kind of a good window of opportunity to uh, to sell.
2: Got it. Yeah, now's a good time. I agree. Um, supply I is
0: way down. True you know it's true for investors too to a certain extent too if, if you have inventory that that you can get sold and of course it's a more difficult in, environment to sell into but because so many of people have pulled back and turned including like the i buyers you may have this window of opportunity that's um, to 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 get out there and be the only you know the only house on the block that's that's available for those buyers who are out there
2: Got it. Got it. Yeah. So I'm just uh, I skip skipping over a slide or two here just because I see some things that uh, I'm really interested in hearing more about. Um, okay. In this particular survey that you guys uh, that did kind of this post pandemic survey. The biggest challenge, this was back, it looks like Q3. What was the biggest investing challenge? Sorry,
0: that just means question three. Oh, question three.
2: Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Question three. This was this was a survey done between April 3rd and April 10th. So this is very recent, about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the biggest question given the recent market volatility? So tell us about that. There's uh, funding, yeah. inventory, market prices, contractors, and demand. What did you guys find from this survey?
0: Well, we saw... Uh, demand is the biggest challenge. And, and I actually called in, so this is a survey just to, to be clear of our buyers who are real estate investors buying properties off of our platform. We surveyed about 250, actually it's exactly 250 there. You can see is and the people who answered this question, 250 folks who responded. And this ranges from small mom and pop type investors to very large institutional investors who are answering this. But the demand was the biggest one. It wasn't far, far. I wouldn't say far and away. There was a lot of challenges across the board, but that was the one that stuck out. And I did call and talk to a few people, um, and just got some anecdotes. Uh, and certainly, that is you know the issue. Meaning, so it kind of it runs counter to what I just said. Now is a good window of opportunity to sell, but uh, on the rental side, if you own properties, rental properties, there's uh, a fear and possibly sometimes it's happening where uh folks are not paying the rent um because either they lost a the job or they're <laughs> they're taking advantage of the situation unfortunately mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then on the other side on the for the home flippers um this one guy I talked to you know he had ten properties, he flips about he said uh twelve to twenty a year, and he happened to have ten right now that he's trying to sell right in the middle of this. And it's, it's a little bit, it was a little tough. I actually talked to him, you know, a couple of weeks ago, like I said, I, I do think there may be an opportunity now that things have calmed down a little bit for those properties to move um, given, and given that there's less inventory on the market. Mm-hmm. But that's, uh, that's the biggest challenge for across the board is that more of the dis, I guess I call it the disposition side of things rather than the acquisition side of things.
2: Right. Yep, I agree. Um so decreased interest uh interest in occupied, so occupied versus vacant, right? So this seems to make a mm-hmm. lot of sense just people not willing wanting to go into environments or houses where other people could be. Um so this is looks like again in the survey, uh a buyer survey auction.com buyers uh, obviously there's just a lot more interest or no no change in interest in vacant properties. Um, or even an increased interest in vacants versus a lot less interest in occupied homes. Right? People want to buy properties that are vacant.
0: Yeah, and that's that has that's been true in the past. That you tend the vacant properties have gotten gotten tend to get more interest because you don't have the eviction process potentially that's happening. But now, given the fact that there's an eviction moratorium, um, at least through May seventeenth, here uh, the that has uh, exacerbated that that opinion and, and people are bearing away and at least in the short term from occupied properties for the most part there's certain investors who we have who specialize in that and and do who, who do seller financing back to the owner occupants and so they're actually i talked to one guy he said i actually like this because it means less competition for me you know if you have that niche where you can go in and you know how to deal with occupied properties mm-hmm. then it's good but the gen most of the investors that we have are are varying away from that um, because of that eviction moratorium that's and in fact we're actually just to to be a good citizen in this environment we're asking all of our buyers who buy occupied properties to sign a pledge that they will stick to that uh, that uh, eviction moratorium sure. uh, through May 17th.
2: Yeah, we've, we've got um, one rental property out of our portfolio of single family homes that was in the middle of an eviction. We can't obviously push that forward. That's on pause. And we've got a handful of foreclosures that we've got going on through our private equity fund on loans that we've made. And all of those foreclosures have been paused. So we're in the middle of it. We see it. Um, You know, actually in real time that those are happening. Uh, We did get to see as far as good news, you know, we have a a pretty substantial portfolio of rental properties. We have over 2600 rentals that are apartments, apartment doors. And we only saw we actually saw the same collection rate in April that we saw in March. Uh, very, almost, very almost identical total dollars collected, total number of units collected in April as in March. And we'll see what happens. People are getting their stimulus money, the PPPs, SBA loan money. People, hopefully things are going to unthaw people get back to work here in, in, in May. So I think, do think May one, this is going to be released right around May, early May. I do think in May, the whole month of May is going to be telling uh, with all the people on um, unemployment, how many people pay the rent in May. And how many people got stimulus checks and what they use that stimulus money for? I'll be interested yeah. to see how that flushes out, not only for all of our students and listeners, but for my own portfolio. Um, again, buyers seem to be shifting their strategy online. You talked about this in the in the lead, in the open. Yeah. Uh, that a lot of people are looking to buy properties through online auctions. Just tell us more about some of the some of the survey that results that you got and what, what you're seeing. Yeah, from this is
0: And you you know, and I think when people think auction.com, they might think all of the properties are sold online, all of the properties you can, you can go in and find out about online, but about it's about half of the properties to actually bid on them. You have to go physically to the courthouse steps and, and those traditionally actually have been, that's the biggest, uh, the biggest interest has been in those properties Um, on our platform but that completely in a matter of just weeks that completely flipped. So we see oh, yeah. now, and, and not surprisingly because, um, of the moratoriums, but, but we see now 61% of folks said their preferred acquisition method is the online auction. Whereas only 29% said that was their top acquisition method back in February. Mm-hmm. So that is completely flipped and people are, are looking at the online auctions now, um, and uh, considering those where they may have been just considering the the live foreclosure auctions in the past it's i mean obviously our audience is going to skew toward auctions but we did throw in there the off market and and multiple listing Mm -hmm. essentially multiple listing service stayed the same off market gained a little popularity where it was for 18 percent of folks it was their number one acquisition source uh going direct to, to homeowners it gained a little popularity and I think the biggest loser here was the yeah. uh, the in person foreclosure auctions, and that's really a matter of inventory. The inventory dried up. I'll show that in a second. Yeah, and, and I mean down seventy so percent
2: basically those in person auctions. So those dollars, if people are active professional investors, they got to go somewhere, right? So yeah. there, a little increase in direct to owner, an increase in in the online stuff. Um, So page views, obviously this tracks page views at auction.com. Property page views is up Mm -hmm. big time. That's 65%. That's amazing. Um, And uh, technology, right? Bidding remotely. I think we're going to see a lot more of this. Again, I think we're learning as a culture, a whole new way, all new habits, all new techniques uh, to just not only in real estate, but you know, our entire lives, running our entire lives, the ways that we're going to social distance or shop online, buy groceries and things like that. And, um, so technology is going yep. to be a big part of all of that, including real estate. So tell us about this. How is technology increasing people's ability to buy properties and changing their strategy?
0: Yeah. And this is, some, I, I, I mentioned this earlier, so I don't have to spend too much time on it, but we, we had been creating this, one of the biggest obstacles to buying at the courthouse steps is you actually have to be at the courthouse steps physically, or at least have mm-hmm. somebody there. And that's that's a limitation on for many investors. And you know, a lot, to be honest, a lot of times the property gets the auction gets canceled at the last minute. So you go, and the property you're interested in, and the properties you're interested in don't even go for auction. So we had already been building this remote bid technology that allows you to bid basically from your smartphone um, mm-hmm. and track these live auctions in real time. And we actually launched that in March in four counties. And it's expanding soon to about, um, over 300 uh, close to 400 counties. But we think that is, will be a great tool that'll be in place once the foreclosure auctions start up again to, to allow people to, uh, to bid remotely, um, at those traditionally very, uh, auctions that require a very high level of person to person interaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is just, this is just showing the dr- how dramatic this is, the fall off has been. The green line is foreclosure; these in person courthouse foreclosure auctions in 2019. The red line wow. is 2020. You just see it, and this is our data, which we estimate we account for about half of the auctions nationwide that are happening. Mm-hmm. So, but so it's fallen off, which is, you know. Uh, I've made that point several times, but I do want to make the point that we have to look here at the unintended consequence of potentially unintended consequence of this is every month, just in our platform alone, which again is about half of the overall auctions nationwide. There's a backlog of about 6,000 properties that are not going to auction every month that regularly would be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's just, that's absent. That's in a vacuum absent of the, the pandemic crisis. And so there is this backlog that's building up in the longer, if this moratorium gets extended, um, the problem with that is at some point you're going to have to deal with those properties. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You're going to have to increase the supply. And if demand doesn't catch up, you know, where for some reason people just aren't buying as many real estate properties, then prices will come down, right? But if there's if there's supply that starts to hit and there's a bunch of pent-up demand and that they, they kind of equal each other, then mm-hmm. property values could stay stabilized. Um so you've got that 6,000 backlog and you've got potentially new foreclosures happening and you yeah. potentially have less liquidity in the market. You're also going to have uh for for some degree Darren for retail buyers, you're going to have definitely an issue coming up. With getting approved for mortgages, because banks are going to see that people got furloughed, they're going to see they were on unemployment, you know, and the banks were really strict over the last five or six, seven years of making sure people had two years of uninterrupted employment on their uh, on their employment history in order to get a mortgage, um, and so the fact that now you're going to have a 26 million interruptions in 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 unemployment now that's gonna affect how banks underwrite buyers. And it could be Mm -hmm. removing a significant portion of those buyers from the marketplace for the next two years. If if banks stick with that two-year criteria of having to have two years on the job, it it, it could take every single one of those 26 million, take them out of the market, they won't be back in the market for two years from now when they can establish two years of on-the-job history. I'm I'm interested to see what that looks like because if you Mm -hmm. remove all those buyers from the market, and then bring all that inventory you just talked about on the market, it could drag prices down uh, to some degree. I don't think it's going to kill it like 2008, 9, 10, but I think there's going to be an adjustment but when, when you, you factor fact all that, that in.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, you're I right. Think you're, I mean, and my point is the, I think the lesson from 2008 to me, uh, maybe not everybody thinks this is a lesson, but the the idea that you can just kick the can down the road with the foreclosures, there was this push to just, okay, let's, let's not foreclose um, right away. And, you know, that's well-intended, but the problem is that that draws out the pain of the, yeah. the recovery uh, because eventually you have to deal with those properties. And the longer you wait, the bigger there is this pent-up supply to your point. And if it hits at the point that it hits, if you don't have demand to soak that up, then it's going to have a bigger impact on the, on the housing market.
2: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. It looks like the FHA delinquency rates again, this is there's a lot of data on this slide. I mean, the 30 day delinquent, 60 day, 90 day, it all seems to be obviously this only runs out through the end of February. So not taking into account a lot of the the pandemic stuff yet. This is all pre COVID. Everything looks Mm -hmm. to be roughly normal, like within the same range dating back since 2016. Um, to, to, you know, but what's really going to happen when we have you back on in about three months, then we're going to have the April, May data. And then that'll tell us what really happened. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were already expecting FHA to be a source of weakness in the market in terms of more foreclosures in 2020. And, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. We were just seeing this uptick. If you look at that blue line and foreclosure starts, those were starting to come back up again. And. Uh, I think that we'll see, you know, unfortunately FHA is, is the, the weakest link, I guess, in this housing market in terms of mortgages, because it is designed to expand access to home ownership. So you have the lower credit borrowers. Those are going to be the folks who are most at risk in this environment as well.
2: Right. Same thing with like delinquencies look like those popped up quite a bit, but again, this is Q4. 2019 yeah. data kind of matches what we looked at on the previous slide there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so unemployment rate and mortgage performance. This is interesting data, especially because this is, we're really going to get this data coming out in May and June, because this is obviously in arrears uh, looking backwards. So help us understand yeah. what this looks like. Cause this is a slide that, although we're tracking it now, looks like a slide we'll really want to track in the next couple, three months.
0: Yeah, this is, Uh, analysis put up by black Knight. It's, I thought it was really good. Uh, well, it's really helpful to kind of see the potential impact. This is, this is really a guess at this point, but they looked at the relationship between unemployment and delinquency rate, basically. Mm -hmm. And back the baseline, if you look to the, on the left side, there is the great recession when we saw a delinquency rate of, um, a total non-current delinquency rate of 14.3%, you had almost 8 million folks who missed their payments as a result of that. It's looking that we're getting, at least as of right now, we're going to be around 20% unemployment when the April numbers come out. And so if that's true and this relationship holds, they're expecting to see... Um, Seven <laughs> uh, under that twenty percent unemployment uh, scenario, there seven million mm-hmm. uh, folks who miss their miss their mortgages go delinquent. Um, so that's that's a huge increase of off the what we're what we're at right now is two million people who are delinquent. So um, that's kind of talking again about that potential flood of foreclosures we're going to see at some point as a result of all of this.
2: Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, and the question then becomes the banks taking those those missed payments and what are they doing with them in forbearance agreements? Because if they're just yeah. expecting that, look, nobody's gotten paid for Let's say three months or six months, and they give them a six month forbearance. But then on month seven, the bank says, Okay, we've given you forbearance for six months. Now we need all those payments at one time. Like, mm-hmm. like let's use common sense here. Like, nobody's gonna be able, no average American's gonna be able to say, Yeah, I've been paying $2,000 a month. I missed my last mm-hmm. six months of payments, $12,000 plus some other fees. Here's a check for 15 grand. Bring me current. That ain't happening. So, what's interesting, what we're gonna be interesting to see is, uh, are banks going to be willing to wrap those missed payments, those forbearance payments to the back of a loan or give people a payment plan? Because we know most Americans already are check paycheck to paycheck. So there's no way to assume that they can make up a big chunk of money in month four or month seven after a three or a six month forbearance. It's not going to happen. So, in order to avoid significant foreclosures from COVID 19, the banks are going to have to get creative with what they do. And I've also seen data, Darren, maybe you've seen it, where Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, have now said that they're going to start to buy some of these forbearance mortgages in bulk from banks, because we have to remember what's the what's what's the, the secondary and the third. The how do the dominoes fall? Which is if banks have mortgages on their books that are non-paying, then banks have to set aside more money in reserves to offset those delinquencies and defaults. The less, the more money they have in the reserve, the less liquidity they have, the less loans they can make. So by having Fannie and Freddie buy those forbearance loans off their books, now it creates liquidity for banks to keep lending. So there's all those dominoes that are interconnected and so it's going to be really interesting to see because if banks aren't willing to be flexible this thing is going to get almost as bad as 2008, 9 and 10 because you're going to have tons of people we're already seeing 20% unemployment it's going to get it's going to get very close to that very soon so it, it, you know almost by accident 2008, 9 and 10 could happen again if the banks don't do this right.
0: Yeah, I think that's really the big question is this going to look I think to me there's just using recent history as a guide this could go one of two ways or somewhere in between most likely somewhere in between it could go like 2008 although at albeit at a much accelerated pace like things are happening so quickly right um or it could look more like and i'll show this you know if you skip down a couple slides it could look more like i guess in a best case scenario like the Aftermath of some of the hurricanes that we've seen in the last, um, and actually, if you go up a slide even uh, in the last, back back in 2017, and this is part of the Black Knight analysis, is the loans that went into forbearance in the hurricanes. And of course, I'm not saying that what we're experiencing is exactly like the hurricanes, but you do show that the forbearance was a success um, from the perspective of basically the bottom line here is the percentage of those forbearance that, that ended up as going to foreclosure sale was only 1%. So 99% of the people who got forbearance were able to um, come current. So, you know, 60% got current. Some of them are still delinquent. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, another 20% sold or refinanced. So mm-hmm. the vast majority were able to get out of that, recover, get back on their feet that's great. That's kind of the other, I see, you know, this is a spectrum. There's 2008 and there's, and there's the hurricanes. I don't think it's going to be as clean as the hurricanes with this forbearance, but they're trying, they saw that the success that was experienced with that forbearance program and the hurricanes. And so to a certain extent, they're trying to recreate that. I think we'll probably land somewhere in between, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, your, your point about this, how the, what happens at the end of the forbearance period is, is a huge um, piece. And I think the banks at least learned some lessons from those hurricanes about how to then get people into loan mods that don't give them this huge payment shock. Right. At the end of the the forbearance period.
2: What's interesting. And I relate this to, you know, owning a bond, owning rental properties, whether it's apartments, multifamily, or even a single family SFR one to four unit rental. um, If you bought it, right. You bought it at a wholesale price and you fix it up at a wholesale price and you're renting it out and you have long term financing on that property. Um, in the short term, it's almost like a bond that has a coupon, let's say a 5% coupon, it's paying you a 5% interest rate, but the price of the bond comes down. Um, you don't really care if you have a 30-year bond or a 10-year bond because it's going to mature out at the 10-year mark or the 30-year mark. It's going to mature out at the par value at full price and you've gotten your 5% coupon. You don't care what the what, what the volatility is in the meantime. Same with housing. If you bought an apartment or a multifamily house or an SFR and you're getting your rent, which is essentially the coupon from the bond, and you're holding it and the the the, the, the tenant's paying you rent or all of your tenants, if it's an apartment, it's paying you rent, um, even if that you know coupon comes down a little bit because there's some more vacancies and there's less payment. But even if the value of your building comes down in the short term, as long as you're holding it and you're not selling it in the middle of this chaos, you're never going to lose. If you're flipping houses and you're dependent on an after repaired value, then there's a possibility that prices could get dragged down and you could lose. So the question becomes is what type of investor are you? Are you a buy and hold guy? Uh, which uh, the markets have always proven that simply inflation over time is gonna make the property value go up and you've locked in your loan at let's say three, four, 5% interest with an amortization schedule, you're gonna pay that loan down. So again, it's just more proof that buying and holding properties for the long term is a strategy that's going to win in this environment because now you're not really necessarily going to care that much uh, about the foreclosures that happen or price decreases. But a matter of fact, even if there are more foreclosures, it actually helps you if you're renting houses because typically when there's more foreclosures, more people move into rental properties, apartments, rentals. You know, rent rates go up in a depression or in a in a recession, so it actually can help uh, with that. This is great data to see what they're saying about this in. The only problem with this, Darren, as we know, is the whole country is like a hurricane right now. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to just one spot, right?
0: That's why. Yeah, I want to be careful about making that comparison, but I do think it's also different. than it's not. You can't say 2008 because this is not some systemic, deeply rooted problem that's ingrained in the whole, you know, structure of the of the housing market. Right. This is a this is a black swan event, you know, classic, I guess, black swan event where it's just something coming in at a left field that, um, that hit a a housing market that was very strong. Um, and so I think that gives, you know, gives depending it really all hinges on how quickly the health piece of the pandemic you know on the one extreme, if you saw the pandemic ease as quickly, which is unlikely, but to see the pandemic go away as quickly as it hit, then yeah, you would see this this quick rebound, but it's really going to hinge on how quickly um, uh that that pandemic is is you know i don't know what the word is solved, i guess, but um that will really uh this, tell us how how, how, how elastic um, the economy is in terms of bouncing back yeah. to, to where it was and the housing market as well.
2: So, Darren, we've got time for probably one more slide. I saw this one about servicing uh, portfolio volume in forbearance. I thought this was interesting because this is still the early part of April. Now we're into the end of April as of this recording, and the amount of properties going into forbearance is obviously skyrocketing. Um, you know, very, mm-hmm. very fast by all different investor types, Fanny, Freddie, Ginny, and then other Others it, it's, it's skyrocketing and that just goes into what we did the conversation we just had about uh, banks and things looking at forbearance as a way to get mm-hmm. through the hurricanes, get through natural disasters, offer some forbearance for the next three to six months and hopefully the market comes back and very few of those properties one percent ended up in foreclosure. but it is interesting to look at the data and look at the the colors and just see how the how it's the hockey sticking up the amount of properties in forbearance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, there are some new numbers. So both this is these are numbers from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Black Knight's also tracking this, and they came out with some numbers this morning that show it now at um, I mean, six point four percent of all loans are now in forbearance. The these MBA numbers showed five point nine five percent. So it's continuing to go up. Black Knight says it's three point four million uh, loans uh, in terms of a number. Mm-hmm. And so it's a significant, uh, number and yeah, I think it, there's a lot of how those forbearance loans are dealt with and how quickly they can recover is going to tell us a lot about whether it, um, how the housing market does in the next couple of years. Yeah.
2: I feel like in, in a lot of ways, um, housing in this environment is hopefully gonna be part of the solution. Uh, not the problem, obviously in 08, 09, 10, housing, finance, mortgages were the problem. So it was very hard for real estate to be the solution. Um, in this case, I do think because was, the market was so good and we don't have really a true, uh, you know we don't have a liquidity problem, we don't have uh, you know massive amounts of foreclosures, not yet. It's possible if the, if the banks and the major institutions don't work this out the right way over the next uh, three, six, 12 months, it's possible to see a major, major foreclosure crisis again. But it is interesting to see that we have so much recent data from the 08 that I think a lot Mm -hmm. of bankers and decision makers can make real good decisions based off of a very recent scare just 12 years ago. Um, And I guess so the lesson for me talking to my real estate investors is uh, I think dry powder Cash, liquidity is really, really important right now because you are gonna see an uptick in foreclosures. You are gonna see an uptick in forbearance. You're already seeing it. You are gonna see an uptick in online auctions. Um, but it also doesn't mean that prices are gonna just you know, crater uh, through, through the floor. It's gonna take time. If these forbearances help, it's gonna to help to stabilize the market. Right now, as Darren said, one of my takeaways is supply is way down, down 50, 52%. Demand is only down 25%. Um, so if you have properties to take to the market, I think you'll do well to bring them to market because um, you know people are looking for those, especially retail buyers are looking for those. I think investors are going to use this as an opportunity, Darren, to use the COVID-19 as an excuse to buy cheap. They're going to go to sellers and say, Hey, I see your properties at this price. And it's probably a price that you would have paid 30, 60 days ago easily and say, No, I want another 10% off. I want another 20% off just to use the virus as an excuse to get a lower price, even if you would have paid more. Um, so, tremendous amount of data here, Darren. Again, tell our audience, all of our listeners and students, um, where can they get more information from auction.com? I know you guys have a fantastic newsroom. You guys put out a lot of information. Uh, if anybody wants to follow up on this and get more data, and follow you guys or buy properties on your platform, where should they go?
0: Well, auction.com is where you can go to, to get all of that specifically the newsroom. If you go to auction.com forward slash in the news, uh, that's where I'm putting all our research and analysis. And there's a lot more, I mean, even the things you just said, I could, I could give you some more data to, uh, to support that. So, and then when we've written recent articles about that, so yeah, we're looking, I think our buyers are on the front lines of this and, um, they're definitely the ones I've talked to, especially the, you know, the bigger ones are, are abiding by that philosophy that they, they do want to still buy. They see this as an opportunity to buy. They're not in necessarily in a rush to buy, but they're, they see this as an opportunity and are keeping their powder dry. Um, so anyway, we have, uh, I could talk about that a lot more, but yeah. um, you know, to go to, yeah, go to auction.com. Uh, check out the properties um, and check out our, our research and analysis. We'd um, um, hopefully that that will be helpful for you.
2: Fantastic, Darren. I think in this pandemic environment, uh, probably going to make sense to bring you back more than once a quarter. It'd be nice. It'd be interesting to see this data roll out month over month. So we'll talk offline about bringing you back more often over the next uh, couple months here because it's going to be interesting to see what happens in May, June and July before we get to the end of the Q2. So listen, Darren, thanks a lot. Again, always so much information, a wealth of knowledge, pulling all this together and aggregating this for us. We really appreciate you being on Accelerated Investor.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Good to be here, Josh.
1: You've been listening to Josh Cantwell and the Accelerated Investor Podcast. Leave a comment on our iTunes channel and let us know what you want to learn next or who you'd like Josh to interview. While you're there, give us a five-star rating and make sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes. Follow Josh Cantwell and his companies, Strategic Real Estate Coach and Freeland Ventures on all social media platforms now and stay up to date on new training and investment opportunities. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed apply for coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com <laughs>